Hello and welcome to the DevMar Debugged podcast, the podcast from the Developer Marketing Alliance. Today, I'm joined by Ferran Mangiani, Product Marketing Manager at Grafana Labs. We're taking a look at development operations or DevOps, including what it is and some of its best practices. But first, a quick word from our sponsor, Kachi. Building a successful developer marketing strategy doesn't happen in a bubble. For over 12 years, the experts at Catchy have helped technology companies build, grow, and manage developer marketing programs. We can help you figure out what to do based on market research and audience intelligence, then bring that vision to life. Whether you're building a developer marketing program from scratch or adjusting an existing strategy, Catchy can help you do what it takes to reach your goals. Don't be a stranger. Get in touch with us at catchyagency.com. Hi, Fern. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good as well. And thank you so much for joining our podcast. It's great to have you. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. So today we're talking about DevOps, uh, development operations, which is a, a popular and important topic in tech industries. But before that, I thought you could tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and the work you do at Grafana Labs. Sure. Um, I'll start from... The beginning, I started my career uh, carrying a bag, as I say, which is quota carrying sales rep um, at a couple of different startups across the world, a little bit in, in Hong Kong, a little bit in the US. And it was during that time, this is all kind of BC, if you will, before COVID, <laughs> uh, we were all in person in office. And there were these people who would walk onto the sales floor and lead these trainings. And they knew everything about our buyer, right? They could tell me, their, you know, the the metrics they're measured on, what they really care about, their struggles, they knew everything about them. And I was like, wow, like these people are so incredible. Like as a seller, I was like, wow, I really want to yeah. be know as much as them. Uh, how do I do that? And so one day kind of I followed them back to what I learned is the marketing side of the house. And I'm like, what what do you what do you do here? And that's where I learned about product marketing. And from there, my first shot at product marketing happened to be uh, with a technical buyer. It was specifically a, a enterprise IT sale for restaurant point of sale. So we're talking, you know, 24 months, 36 months sales cycle, uh, all wow. six and seven, six, seven figure transactions. Uh, but from there, I, I just got hooked. So I, I stayed in product marketing, almost exclusively staying with the developer uh, or product kind of technical buyer persona, whether it's kind of IT or developer kind of going back and forth. And similarly, now at, at Grafana Labs, um, I joined to look after a couple of net new products that we acquired via acquisition and figuring out how to bring them to market. And then most recently, I shifted to take on uh, to build out the competitive program, the first competitive program at, uh, at Grafana. Hmm. Wow. It just seems like you've done a lot of stuff, <laughs> kind of like a fingers <laughs> in a lot of pies as people say so you've been you've done quite a lot of you know go to market and sales and competitive intelligence just the lot right so that's yeah that's great so it seems like your current role kind of uses your whole expertise really it honestly does it's always like i actually recently did a podcast on on why uh, i think sdr specifically sales is the best job in the world to start with, especially if you're trying to break into tech. And mm. a lot of what I talked about there was, you know, there's so many fundamental skills that I still learn today uh, or I still use today. Kind of the first understanding of how does a business even make 
money? What am I doing today that directly results in in dollars for the business? Being yeah. able to connect those dots. A lot of product marketers that I know today struggle with that. They're just like, I'm making this collateral. What does it have to do with like the business? You know, I don't have a quota. I don't understand the ROI yeah. of, of my work. You learn that from from day one as an SDR. Not to mention, cold calling and cold emailing is so difficult. But if you're a product marketer trying to help get those first customers, you're trying to get someone on the phone for a win loss interview. You lean back on those skills time and time again. Yeah. Well, how does DevOps come into play in all this? How did you come to kind of have an interest in it? And yeah, good question. Um, I joined more so. The people and the team and the company was, to be honest, kind of secondary. Um, I knew nothing about DevOps <laughs> when I when I first joined, and so it was, it was a big learning curve uh, for me, but a fascinating one. I was at the point in my career where it was less about the tactical product marketing things, right? The go to market, the messaging and positioning, et cetera, et cetera. I felt comfortable doing those things, but now it was to be able to operate in a highly technical environment, mm -hmm. learning a persona like the DevOps buyer, learning their needs, being able to speak the language of CIOs of some of the largest companies in the world and still perform those duties of bringing products to market, running enablement for those types of teams, et cetera, et cetera. That was the interesting challenge for me. Uh, Acrofana, which is why I ultimately joined, and and it's uh, you know I'm roughly seven eight months in, and and hundred percent paid off, um, and then some. It's been incredible how much it's really pushed me and my own I think limitations to understand the sheer complexity of what it takes to build and maintain some of the you know most complicated apps in in the world. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine how much goes in, how much work goes into that. But it sounds yeah, like a lot. Um, so for any listeners who are new to the industry or aren't sure what it all means, so what exactly is DevOps? Uh, how do you define it? Yeah, so DevOps really came from from the rise of two two trends here. And I think it's helpful to talk about both. The first is it's fundamentally a, a shift in how people are building software. So in the in the old days, you have what we call a monolith, which is one giant application, right? So all the things that it does, let's say you have an e-commerce company, so you have a checkout service, you have, you know, the product page, et cetera, et cetera. You have all these different things. It's just all one thing. And it's running on kind of one big uh, virtual machine, right? Or, or one even before that kind of a specific data center. Right. And the people who are developing and the operations team that was managing the actual infrastructure to host this and actually put it out in the hands of customers, those are fundamentally separate. There is a big wall right in between them. Then slowly, slowly, you kind of had this blend and you kind of had this rise of cloud thanks to folks like AWS and Google and others uh, where it became much easier to just spin up a cloud. You didn't have to you know wait all this time you didn't have to go through your infra team and infrastructure team and, and reach out and put in a ticket and wait just like you know you maybe would have to do to get access to a system as, as an IT team. Um, and so then developer and operations slowly, slowly started to come closer and closer together. 
And we started getting something instead of a monolith, we started getting something called microservices, which means your checkout service team, right? Developers are just broken into teams effectively. Your checkout service team can build totally independent of this other team over here that's managing the product catalog page right. that's totally separate from this team over here that's building the sign-in page and you know responsible for that service. And we can build those totally independently and then connect them all back together. That's effectively what microservices is. It's super helpful when you think about developing things much faster, but where it gets complicated, as you can imagine, is how do I support this, the health of this service? Yeah. Because now, you know, if it was one big thing, it's usually pretty clear when there's a problem. Oh, it's like that thing over there. It's not really working. When we're talking about now in a cloud first, right? We're in modern day now, we're talking about hundreds of microservices, maybe even thousands of microservices. <laughs> It could be any number of things that's causing the issue. And that's really where DevOps has really come to the forefront um, of, of the field here, which is what's a better way to think about the health of my systems and supporting these systems at any given moment, given that it could be one of a hundred, one of a thousand different things that's going wrong. And a customer just says, I see latency, right? My Netflix app is not loading. <laughs> what are you doing, Netflix? What's your problem? And, you know, there's a whole team internally saying, I have no idea. Uh, how do you even start, right? So I guess if you have that many stuff running and that much little separate teams working on separate things, how um, do you take a top-down approach to bring everything together? Like, how how does that work? Yeah, that's effectively the, the field that, uh, you know, Grafana operates in. Today is like thinking about as people have gone from this whole monolith architecture to cl cloud first, thinking about these microservices, how do we shift in what was originally kind of monitoring, right? How do I monitor the health of my kind of singular application? So observability is more the overall art of managing the health. So mm. at any given moment, all these systems are giving out a ton of data points. And yeah. we call this telemetry, all right? And the telemetry is broken into three categories. Uh, you have a bunch of metrics, things like memory and response time. You have some logs, right? So every application has a log of exactly what is happening at any given moment. And then you have traces that's helping you tie it all together. So really the, the art and practice of observability is actually correlating across all three of these things. So I see a spike over here. Again, customer says something like, which is actually the worst, right? Is like a customer is complaining. Mm. Ideally, the best companies are really trying to shift from reactive to proactive is we can, the whole reason they're using systems like Grafana and, and DevOps buyers all day and working with site reliability engineers, they're trying to make sure how can we get alerted on the right thing at the right time so we can identify something like, hey, I need this memory is full, so I just need to refresh it or shift this or that um, before a customer actually starts seeing some sort of reliance issue, right. uh, which is really the job of the CIO today, right? Like their number one thing is to really think about how can I reduce my revenue and my brand reputation? Because again, think about your Netflix, right? If your yeah. Netflix doesn't load, you want to watch TV, you're going to open Hulu or you're going to open Disney Plus, right? You're going to wait maybe... Yeah. 30 seconds, a minute, and then you're gone, you're done. 
Similarly, if I'm a bank, that's huge dollars, right? If my app isn't loading, people can't transact. If I'm a retailer, uh, Walmart, right? If I go down, that's real dollars that I can't generate for my business. Um, And so, you know, observability is is trying to measure all things uh, all the time to be proactive, not reactive. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) In that case, would you say like one of the main benefits of it would be like customer satisfaction, which in turn, I guess, translates into customer, you know, spending money with you, basically that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. A lot of it is, is their own goal of what's, what does it mean for them? Again, if I'm, if I'm a, if I'm a bank, uh, for example, there's actually regulatory uh, requirements. There are actually laws in place all around the world that say, as a bank, in order to be by definition a bank, you need to be this much reliable. And if you ever go outside that window, you will have to pay millions of dollars in fines because you are not available to the public, right? So, like, that's a very real uh, consequence that they that they uh, face. Um, we have another company that that we've worked with similarly in the navigation space called TomTom. Mm. Tom. Yes, and they have something very similar, right? There's a regulatory requirement that they have, which is if they're ever uh, latent or, you know, slow for any given amount of time, they have very real penalties, specifically $50,000 a minute that they are late or down, right? This this amounts to huge amounts of money uh, for the business, which is, you know, the the CIO is, is ultimately the one that's responsible for making sure your your systems are uh, not only running smoothly. That's I think kind of uh, the old way, if you will. But but now you're thinking about what are the things that are stopping me from from uh, that are blocking my revenue, right? Whether that's my production, my sales, et cetera, et cetera. How do I make sure customers are are happy and not leaving us because of this? Uh, but also, how do I increase the efficiency? Uh, right, the productivity of my developers. How can I help them move faster? Because as we grow, now we have all these dependencies and all these teams trying to communicate with each other, potentially across time zones, across you know even languages. Sometimes, how do we just reduce the amount of effort it takes us to get code into customers' hands and then resolve issues when they come up? And that's just kind of day to day. At the same time, all companies are worried about innovation. How do I think about the next big thing, right? I not only want to speed up kind of my core maintaining what I already have built, but how do I increase some efficiency so my developers have some additional time to start thinking about innovation on top of that? Where should we be going next? How should our product be uh, changing for the future? It all fundamentally comes down to, uh, you know, how do you respond, detect, um, prevent and then fix issues when they arrive. <laughs> in that case, you must see quite a lot of like changes within DevOps as well, right? Because if everything's always changing, tech's changing, people, you know, customers' expectations are always changing. So I guess you have to like keep evolving the process in order to kind of keep up with the times and even predict, you know, a step ahead maybe, right? Yeah, totally. Kind of some of those shifts that took place is, and really this is the rise of DevOps, typically there was like one central IT team uh, in a company. And that IT team was divided into developers and operators. 
the operators were the people who were purchasing and, and running uh, the equipment. Mm. The developers were the ones who were installing those apps on that equipment. And everything was on a single server, uh, right? So the IT people would set specific thresholds of capacity. So this is how long we think it should take. This is how much capacity we think it will need. And then they bring that out to the rest of the company. And the rest of the company had to sit within kind of those limitations that um, mm. the IT team has, has set. As companies are starting to go to some of these kind of more modern infrastructures, now developers can spin up their own server with the swipe of a credit card, right? It's literally now seconds. You're no longer relying on a central IT team and their limitations and, and capacity. So now you have uh, kind of unlimited elasticity there, right? You can scale up, scale down um, with literally a, a couple of clicks. Mm. So now the IT team is starting to run kind of very close to that kind of ceiling in terms of uh, costs, right? How do we get just enough that we need at any given moment? Because if we ever need more, we can very quickly increase it. We don't mm -hmm. want to be proactively paying for all this extra uh, space. Yeah. And then we want to alert, right? If we get close to the kind of red line, we're getting close to that capacity, we want to alert. But now this is across many different uh, teams. And so now uh, different teams, that architecture is getting a little bit more complicated. So all these different teams are starting to put in kind of new tools um, to help better understand the health of their systems, to make sure how each individual one, again, is getting close to that capacity. And so within that right now, these individual teams are bringing on experts within their specific teams um, who can get closer to the specific platform and thinking about the health of running uh, this, this platform. And that those people, those experts that they brought onto their team, that is the uh, DevOps um, and the site reliability mm -hmm. engineers kind of specifically. Um, that's where they kind of got, got, uh, got rise. Well, right. Um, well, I imagine due to that sort of complexity from all this, that companies and people will sort of run into issues as well. Is there like any challenges of DevOps or DevOps are facing at the moment? Yeah, it's it's a culture, a DevOps culture, a developer culture that I, I would say is the most challenging is because depending on, you know, not all companies modernize at the same pace or at the same time. And so we just talked about the spectrum of you have one central IT team kind of dictating the rest of the organization versus you have an individual kind of DevOps individual within teams. Um, I would say some of the best companies in the world also have uh, a build it, fix it model, which is to say, we're not going to have a, a person on your team that's responsible for doing all this, but you as the developer, if you are building code, building software, you should then be uh, somewhat knowledgeable about how to fix um, anything that happens within production, right? You're now responsible, you've built it. So now you're on call uh, to fix if there's any issues for your specific service. And so that, you know, can be one challenging, it's a whole new skill set for that individual. But at the same time, um, it is it is new complexity of like, now you have now you have to make sure you have the right person on call because if they didn't build it, they probably don't know much about it and they have to get you know the person that actually ended up uh, ending up building it. So that becomes super challenging uh, at at scale um, for sure. But then anywhere on 
on that spectrum is is also really difficult of how do I get to kind of the next piece? The big challenge DevOps uh, is is facing is depending on where you are, it's still kind of a throw it over the fence model. So the developer is mm. just building, they throw it over the fence and say, hey, DevOps person, you are hired to make sure this is, you know, healthily running at any given moment. Good luck with that. Right. And the DevOps <laughs> person is saying, no, 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 like, you know, this is you and me together. We need to work on this. You're the one that built this. I don't know. I know about maintaining systems in general. I don't know about this specific system. I need us to, to work together on this. And they're saying, no, 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 that's not my job. I'm going to go build something else, right? So it's a, it's a real right. you know, tough, tough time. Um, and that's why folks, like I mentioned, have been going towards this kind of build it, fix it model to kind of adjust the, the empathy. Um, and as marketers, especially, I think we're, we're guilty of this which is all the time, you know, we're closer to the front lines with customers and we see these issues and we hear these issues and everyone's like, oh, why can't the developer just build it? Why can't the developer just fix it? You know, why, why do you make products that have problems, right? Like, why would you do that? And it's so easy to just say that, but then you start to dig in and understand the nuance and, and the complexity. Uh, it happens within the engineering team as well, of, of you know, finger yeah. pointing, that's not my responsibility, it's your responsibility, those games. Yeah, so I guess like a way of fixing it, so to speak, would be like more understanding of the roles that every person does and sort of like more accountability from each part as well and sort of meshing together more. Maybe that would be the biggest yeah. challenge. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, easier said than done, right? Yeah. If we think about the parallel to marketing, we talk about this same conversation in sales and marketing all the time is who's responsible for getting the pipeline who's responsible for qualifying the pipeline who's responsible for closing the pipeline right like there's oh, no, absolutely. You on, my, uh, on, on both sides yeah and then if you have marketing doing a lot of the work right then you've got sales uh are qualifying people or having bringing in people and well who's responsible what's the attribution yeah. model in this and exactly yeah, yeah i get this sounds a bit complicated yeah <laughs> um, so let's now look into how people can make the most of DevOps, I suppose, uh, how, what are some of the best practices they could follow or adhere to, uh, so they can take full advantage of it really. I know you've touched up on a little bit on that already, but, um, so just some tips for our listeners. Yeah, I would say a, a practice that not a lot of organizations have well mastered is, is how to best quantify what does a reliable system actually mean? What are we measuring and using as a core definition uh, for, for measuring this? And so a lot, of, a lot of people may know the concept of an SLA, a service level agreement, right? It's usually something that they write in a contract. Um, you may see this, especially on websites. It's like, oh, we guarantee 99.5 uptime or 99.9 or two nines or three nines, whatever. It's something that a company contractually agrees to another company that they typically work with or sell to that, hey, we will guarantee you this much of system availability. And if not, there's some consequence to that. Mm. There's actually, interestingly, two other types of uh, reliability metrics internally that organizations have. So there's also um, an, an SLO, which is a service level objective. So contrary to the SLA, which is kind of customer facing, the service level objective is similar concept, but this is internal. So it's typically a goal that's higher than your SLA. 
So mm-hmm. let's say that our SLA and our customer contracts is 99.5% that we're uh, promising everyone. Maybe our internal service level objective is 99.9 consistently, right? So we want to shoot to be even better than what we're promising customers. And then we want to you know, measure a couple of things uh, to make sure, understand how far are we from that or, or you know, how, what's stopping us from getting there effectively. And measuring kind of what's stopping us from, from getting there is kind of these metrics are SLIs or service level indicators. So this is something like a product characteristic, uh, typically something like a, like a percentage. So what was kind of the system availability of X and Y, Z system? And then you bring all those up together and you have this service level objective internal, again, kind of a, a KPI, if you will, versus your service level um, agreement for customers, Mm. lots of acronyms, but it's really thinking about how do I do this at scale, uh, right? Monitor all these systems consistently so that, you know, when we promise something for customers, it's not an arbitrary number or it's not something that they just said they need. And so we just said, sure, fine, whatever, and and we'll figure it out. But it's much more thoughtful in that approach, a systematic Mm. approach to this, if you will. You kind of have to have some sort of, you know, a guide, for everything because it's a lot of elements to come together isn't it so definitely so to wrap things up um are there any tools or anything else you think that people uh should know when implementing a devops model in their comp- company or anything you think people should know really yeah i think it all falls into kind of three three main categories of things to, to think about there's kind of if you think about a big spectrum of devops there's some shifts that have been occurring. So there's a, and again, when we talk about a shift, we're thinking about that wall between ops and developers or the IT team, um, the central kind of IT team, and then and the actual developers who are building things. So if we shift to the left of them, which means get closer uh, to what they're thinking about, it's all about preventing and testing things before they even get into the hands of um into the hands of customers. So you have things like load testing and browser testing um, of fields that's kind of somewhat new, which is called chaos engineering, which is effectively the whole practice is all about how can I replicate what I'll potentially see once my customers are actually using this. So for example, if I am Walmart, again, I am thinking about how can I test the load of what I will see on Black Friday, where Mm. our traffic to our website might be 10x, ideally 100x. How do I make sure that I understand how my applications perform at that level without actually getting there, right? Because ideally, you don't want to be testing that on the day of, you want to do a Mm. dry run. So how can you think about preventing these issues? If not, how can you think about quickly finding these issues um, proactively? And this is where we talked about kind of the core tenets of you have some metrics, you have some logs, you have some traces, and there's a way that all of these will work together to help you define exactly what system at what given moment is causing the issue at one given time. And then if not, kind of the, the last piece is if you can't be proactive and you aren't able to prevent, how do you act quickly whenever you do find uh, an issue? And so this is uh, kind of some of the core products that I initially started out at, at Grafana, which is this is the shift right to purely operations teams, which is uh, my incident response and my incident management. So like mm. we were mentioning, you know, who has the expertise in the organization? 
how can we reduce the time it takes to get that expert on the line to help us understand and put some context around is this a huge issue, a medium issue, a small issue? Is this affecting customers, not affecting customers, right? We want to treat all of these differently. And then once we've resolved this issue, how do we make sure all of the kind of critical pieces of information, what the issue actually was, who found it, what worked, more importantly, what didn't work? How do we make sure we have all this well-documented and all of the stakeholders are well-informed? So now we can talk about, well, what are we going to do different now today that we've learned this to go back to preventing this issue uh, in the future. And that cycle will just kind of continue of, of preventing, finding, uh, and if not, acting quickly. Thank you so much for that. And friends, thank you so much for joining me uh, on this podcast and for amazing insights and tips on such a complicated subject. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I know we were a lot of difficult topics, um, interesting trends that that we've discussed today. If you know anyone wants to follow up, talk more, dive deep in any area, I'm happy to dive in. Feel free to reach out. Thank you oh, so no, much. That's great. Yeah, great speaking to you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of DevMar Debugged. If you want to hear more from professionals in the developer marketing world, subscribe to our podcast for more expert talks. See you on the next one.